All In Sports Talk with Hendrick and De Niro. All sports, all topics, all the time. Hello and welcome to All In Sports Talk. Thanks for taking the time to download and to listen. I'm Dr. Steve Gennaro, the doctor of joyology. I talk with you five days a week. We talk all sports on All In Sports Talk. On Monday, I talk NBA with Tamberlyn Richardson, the managing editor from Space City Scoop. On Tuesdays, we talk MLS soccer with Curtis Larson from the Toronto Sun. And we talk EPL soccer with... Kevin DeVries from the EPL Index. On Wednesday, Blair Miller from the Fifth Quarter Blog and I discuss college basketball and college football. Great time right now with the Combine and the NFL Draft coming up and, of course, March Madness. Thursdays are the big show with Dave Hendrick at DaveHendrick underscore AI, my partner in crime, where we talk all sports. And then Fridays, we do NHL, brought to you by at the Hockey Press, where I talk with Arslan Siddiqui about all things hockey-related in NHL. Now, today, Dave is away. He's under the weather again. Hope to get Dave back again real soon. And not to worry, sports fans, Dave is on his way to Toronto, relocating from Ireland to Toronto. And when he gets here in the spring, Dave will be joining us five days a week. So hold tight. We'll have Dave here in no time, not to worry. But I've been very fortunate today because even though Dave can't go, I have a great guest. Ryan Nemhauser is on today to talk with me about the Seattle Seahawks. We're going to talk NFL. We're going to talk NFL free agency, NFL combined, and NFL draft, and even a little review of last year's NFL season and a couple tips for next year's NFL fantasy football. And we do this all while looking at one of the most popular and efficient and effective franchises over the last three seasons, and that is the Seattle Seahawks. Brian is on Twitter at HawkBlogger, and you can check out his blog, HawkBlogger.com, for great coverage of the Seattle Seahawks. So here is Brian and I now talking about the NFL, a sport, of course, as you know, that I love dearly. Let's get to it. So with me on the line right now is Brian Nemhauser. He is the Hawk Blogger, which is a Seattle Seahawks fan blog that's been around for almost an entire decade covering the Seahawks. Brian, welcome to All in Sports Talk. Oh, thanks for having me. Uh, let's let's talk about the Seahawks. What a great team, by the way. I have a couple boys, and one of my boys is just crazy about Russell Wilson. And in the last couple of years, between uh, Marshawn Lynch and Russell Wilson, the Hawks have sort of caught on as one of America's teams. They have a huge following. I live in Canada, and they have a huge following here in Canada as well. Uh, very charismatic, even from the head coach, Carroll, all the way down. Have you noticed uh, a little bit of extra fandom uh, for the Seahawks outside of Seattle recently? Absolutely. I, I think... Uh... It's a team that obviously, when you win a Super Bowl, you're always going to get a lot of notoriety. But um, they did it with a lot of flair and a lot of uh, uh, drama. So I think um, they, they captured a lot of people's attention, and some of that was for the good. <laughs> some of the people really love to hate them. So uh, I think it's it's uh, it's really been an interesting few years for a team that spent most of the the franchise history in in kind of mediocrity. Let's uh, let, well, let's go back to the, the last couple of years. We'll stay away from the the Sean Alexander years and the Holmgren time. I was a, a Packers fan you know, for a long time, so I understand the frustration, the dual-edged sword that is Mike Holmgren. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> let's uh, so let's talk about just the last few years. Uh, one play away from winning back-to-back Super Bowls, if we go back just two seasons. And then the Seahawks came into last season and got off to the rough start. There was the holdout, uh, and it, it, it seemed as if the team didn't get started going until Lynch went down and Rawls came in on the offense. The defense sort of got settled back to their, their old way of play, getting Cam Chancellor back. Is that a good assessment of, of the start of the season for the Seahawks last year? 
Well, it definitely started off slow, and I think there's multiple reasons for that. And um, you know, it's never just one thing. Uh, I think the offensive line was was a key aspect, and I think that um, you know, Cam Chancellor being out was was definitely a key part of it. But even the players that were there, you know, Richard Sherman started slow um, by his standards. I, I, you know, I think Earl Thomas you know, had some challenges. Kerry Williams was there and was playing horribly, and so him being removed from the lineup really helped. So. Um, there's a lot of things that were kind of going on. Like, I mean, football is a complicated sport, and there's a lot of interconnect, you know, interdependencies. And and um, I think as the offense started to play and stay on the field longer, it made life easier on the defense, and the defense also started playing better and making fewer mistakes. And so, you know, that's what Pete Carroll always talks about: that these are are parts that have to fit together. And um, you know, when they start doing that, then the whole team starts to play better. So, uh, you know. I, I think that that people outside look at it as you know a hot streak by Russell Wilson or Doug Baldwin or you know any number of things. Um, if you follow the team really closely, you notice that you know it was an overall team um, you know effect on both sides of the ball. What ha- what went wrong with Jimmy Graham? If we just go back to that for you know the the Unger uh, Graham deal. I think everybody was excited on both ends of how it would all come together, and I don't think it really worked well for for either team. How come that that deal didn't work for the Hawks last year? Well, I wouldn't say everybody was excited. I, I came out pretty strongly against that deal the, the second it was announced. And, um, you know, my my statement then, which I stand by now, is, um, you know, in basketball, uh, there's kind of an old adage that you never trade a big for a small, right? Yeah. Um, and in this case, uh, I think that applies. You never trade, you know, a meet, you know, a lineman, you know, someone that's core to your line play, for a skill position. I don't think you should ever do that. I think the Seahawks have been built on toughness, and I think they traded one of their tough leaders for a player that had questions about toughness and um, you know, played a, a role in a high-volume offense, passing offense, that really necessarily didn't translate that well to what the Seahawks do. Um, so I, I was never a big fan of either the, the straight deal or, or, or what they gave up in draft choices and all that kind of stuff for that. So I, I was not a huge fan of that trade. Um, but um, having said that, I think that the it, it is a big overstatement to say that you know, things were not working with Graham. Um, I think you know he was well on pace to be uh, you know the highest you know set all the the Seahawks tight end records for receptions, touchdowns, yards. Um, he was getting he was getting better and better and, and finding more and more part of the offense. Um, so, uh, you know, I think it was well on the way to being something where he was going to be utilized as well as possible. But, you know, people need to keep in mind that the Seahawks are, you know, they've been 30th, 31st, 32nd in passing attempts in the league. Um, you know, every year Carroll's been there other than when he first arrived. And they were still, you know, in the bottom, you know, bottom third, bottom quarter of the league in pass attempts um, last year, even with Russell having the year he did. So Jimmy Graham's never, and no player is ever going to be a 100-catch player or a you know, 1,400-yard player most likely in this kind of offense. Well, you mentioned the, the, how the offense, I guess, uh, has always been run dominant, but last season we saw Marshawn Lynch go down, uh, Thomas Rawls come in. Of course, Rawls, very well known to college football fans, was a high-end, uh, you know, prospect at Michigan that didn't go so well and then ended up uh, you know falling to a smaller school and then kind of falling and disappearing into the draft but we saw that elite level talent last year is the expectation on the offense for Seattle that he's going to come in and replace uh, Marshawn Lynch in a similar style of offense next year 
or will we see more of this uh, opened up uh, Russell Wilson like we saw towards the end of the season where, you know, Lockett and Baldwin really got let loose? Yeah, it's um, well. There's there's kind of two parts there, right? So so one, I think everyone's absolutely hoping um, that Rawls is healthy enough to be full go. And if he is, then I don't think there's any doubt that he's going to be the bell cow for that for that run team for that run offense. And you know, he was he was more productive than Marshawn last year. I think he was more production more productive, arguably, than Marshawn was the year before. Um, you know, for as great as Marshawn Lynch has been he's he's really rarely been a high yards per carry kind of player he's a guy that gets um you know the tough yards um but he's not a guy that's going to break away very often Rawls was you know um, was leading the NFL in yards per carry when he went down um and was outperforming Todd Gurley in almost every category um as a rookie so um, you know, there's every reason to believe that Thomas Rawls is going to be the guy. Um, it's just that he had a pretty severe injury to an ankle, which is an issue for any running back. So the Seahawks will bring in um, more players to compete for that role. Um, we can talk about that draft, free agency, and, and that kind of stuff. But um, as far as opening up, I don't think the Seahawks offense really did open up. They actually ran more um, in the second half of the season than they did in the beginning. So um, they – what happened is they just were better. They were far more efficient. Um, Russell Wilson was making the most of every single pass attempt, um, and they were uh, just, as an overall offense, operating at a higher level. In the first four games, sorry, the first six games of the season, they lost four of them. And, you know, there was a lot of panic around what happened to the defense. You know, can this team generate enough offense? And then they won eight of their last ten. And what a lot of people, I, I don't think, know, but I follow you on Twitter, and so I do know, is that defense for the Seahawks last year was spectacular. In fact, it ended up being first in points against in the NFL, and they ended up in the top five in points four on the offensive end as well. Uh, again, being a top-scoring offense, and they were actually a top-scoring defense. So, uh, you know, for the casual fan, I guess, of the Seahawks, early on it looked like the defense had dropped. But I get the sense that by the end of the year, this defense was performing just as well as any Seahawks defense that we've seen the last few years. Is it, would, that, would you say that's a correct assessment of the D right now? Um, no, I can't quite go that far. I mean, I think they they definitely, relative to the rest of the NFL, are you know one of the top defenses. I I, I you know definitely think the Broncos were a, a, a I wouldn't say far better defense than the Seahawks this year, but we're definitely better than the Seahawks defense this year. Um, I think that this Seahawks defense is maybe the the third out of the, the last three years or four years um, uh, in terms of, of what they're able to do. Um, you know, there are some, some questions in the secondary and how that played. I think the cornerback position was, was not as good as it's been. Um, you know, and I think the pass rush, especially on the interior, um, was not necessarily as good as it's been. I think um, Michael Bennett and Cliff Averill definitely did their jobs. But, you know, you had guys like Jordan Hill who had five and a half sacks in 2014 um, who had zero sacks in 2015. You had guys like Frank Clark who came in as a highly rated draft pick um, and was really promising in the preseason, ended up with three sacks on the year, which is good, but but not not exactly what people had in mind. Cassius Marsh, another draft pick, had, you know, you know, maybe one sack, maybe zero sacks. I can't remember exactly, but definitely not a lot of production. So um, I think the, the defense was good, not great. I also think Bobby Wagner didn't really have a great year. Um, so there's a lot of guys that I don't think had their best years, and I think that uh, 
this is going to be a chance this offseason to, to kind of remake them. Um, I would say this is probably their best run defense of, of any of the group they had, and I think they led the NFL in that category um, uh, this year. Okay, let's go, let's go back at the postseason for one second, then we'll go forward. Crazy wild card game against Minnesota. Of course, the, there's the Blair, the Blair Walsh uh, field goal uh, miss, you know, and you know Seattle moves on 10-9. But again, they they hung around they, in, in that game. Then they go to Carolina, and first half nowhere to be found. But then we see them march back in that second half. Was there a feeling after that game that Seattle left one on the table there? That Carolina was there for the taking, and that was a game that they should have won. Um, I'm sure there's some folks that would say that, but you know, if, if you're being honest, you have to say that Carolina was the better team that day, and it, it wasn't that close. I think, um, yes, the Seahawks came back. Yes, they they had reason to even potentially tie that game, and and that was an amazing feat. Um, in fact, uh, there's only been one other game in the history of the NFL where teams trailed by 31 points or more at halftime and came back to lose by seven or less. Wow. Um, this was the second time that's happened. So it was a, it was a very rare, I mean, Seahawks just do rare things. That's kind of the, their MO um, under Pete Carroll. And, and I, I think though that given the Panthers credit, they were fantastic that day. Um, it was very reminiscent to me of the 2005 um, NFC championship game where the Panthers came to Seattle and, you know, they just, the Seahawks just overwhelmed um, the Panthers that day, and the crowd was unbelievable. Um, so I, I think that's the kind of situation the Seahawks walked into. And, you know, to their credit, they fought back. But, um, you know, I, I have to say that the Panthers probably uh, changed their game plan a little bit in the second half and, and may not have been the same team. So uh, that, that's kind of the way I saw it. Panthers' uh, report is they've just cut Charles Johnson. Um any chances that uh, he ends up in Seattle? Well, any time a pass rusher comes on the market, you know, Pete Carroll and John Schneider are absolutely going to kick the tires and see. I mean, they even, you know, explored Greg Hardy a little bit last year, even with, you know, all the known issues. They obviously chose not to go that direction. Um, it'll come down to cost. Um, I think Charles Johnson has absolutely got um, something left in the tank. He can help a team. I don't think he's going to be a guy that goes double-digit sacks, but – he could be a guy that you know gets you seven sacks um, as a rotational pass rusher um, in, in a Seahawks you know defense, um, which is very valuable. Um, my guess is that some team's going to pay too much for him because you know he has a big name. He's still uh, you know there's reason to believe he can be a starting defensive end. I think he's going to be similar to what we saw with Jared Allen a few years ago, and uh, he'll get he'll get a decent amount of money from somebody, and probably will give them a little bit less than they were hoping for. Okay, let's look then at some of the other free agents, starting with the ones on your on your own club on the Seahawks. Uh, Bruce Irvin, Russell Okung, are they're both uh, they are both free agents. Um, what do you think about the chances of Seattle retaining either one of those? Yeah, it's it's looking incredibly unlikely that probably either will come back, but especially Bruce Irvin. I think um, you're looking at a guy in, in a in a class that's kind of bereft of of pass rushers um, that, that he's going to, even as a, just a, an okay pass rusher, he's not a great pass rusher, but he's, I, I think he's a decent one. Um, he's going to get money from somebody. Um, and I think, you know, either it'll be Atlanta or Jacksonville. There's teams with so much cap room. Someone's going to give him a lot of money and I'm happy for him. The guy's worked hard and, and he deserves it. Um, but it does open a hole for the Seahawks. And, and uh, from an Okung perspective, um, 
again, you know, he's got the shoulder injury. I kind of thought maybe that would open up a chance that people would uh, back off of him and maybe that he wouldn't get the money he's looking for and the Seahawks could potentially get him back for a one-year deal that he could then uh, enter free agency again next year fully healthy. That's looking less likely. Um, so we'll kind of see. I, I think that I think there's a chance that Ocon comes back um, more than most people do. But um, uh, I definitely wouldn't wouldn't put a bet on it. So going into the free agent market then, or even uh, with the combine last week, what are the big needs for the Seahawks in this offseason? What are they looking? What What are the key areas, the holes that they're looking to assess? Is it more offense or defense, or they, they've got many places they want to they, they want to improve on? Well, here's the thing that I think is an un, untold story. I've written about it, but I don't know that most people nationally really get it. Um, uh, the Seahawks really s- stopped being the bully um, last year. And this happened where you really see that come into play is on the offensive line and the defensive line. And um, you saw in that Panthers game, basically the Seahawks offensive line got completely uh, you know, pushed back and physically dominated. Um, that happened a couple times. That happened when with the Rams um, also did that to the Seahawks. Um, so, you know, the number one priority absolutely is the offensive line. Um, the question is going to be how they go about doing that. I think that the Seahawks, and this is just this is just me putting a few things together, but I'm thinking the Seahawks have been very open about the fact that. Um, Linemen coming out of college have been less prepared and um, are less capable and need more development um, at the NFL level. And um, that they had such a young offensive line last year. Um, I think they're going to look to add some experience to that line. And so I think that means that points to free agency as a place they're going to try to add, I think, probably at least two players. Um, and those could, players could come at center, they could come at guard, they could come at tackle, and it could be either left tackle or right tackle because Gary Gilliam, who started right tackle last year, can move over to left tackle if necessary. So, um, you know, I see that as the number one priority. You know, the type of people that I'm looking at are, I think, Kalechia uh, Semele um, from Baltimore is the ideal signing. Um, he's going to cost a ton, but he can play guard or tackle, including left tackle. Um, and he is a Pro Bowl level, um, potentially future All-Pro level um, uh, lineman. And I think adding someone like him could just be a, a cornerstone for how that line goes forward. Um, and then I'm interested in some of the veteran linemen, like a guy like Donald Penn, um, you know, who's 32, um, and will get a little bit of money, but um, he could be uh, a great fit at left tackle. And um, you know, there's some other, there's tons of other options we can go into if you're interested, but I think there's just so many lineman options um, out there, um, including some veteran guards like Evan Mathis and Jari Evans, um, that they could plug in at a reasonable cost and add some experience and some reliability and stability to the line. Um, I think that they go on in the draft, uh, ideally if they've picked up some free agents in the offensive line, that allows them to use their pick to, to you know, picks to really dig into this deep defensive line um, and cornerback class. And so I think there's a couple, you know, options there that are really intriguing. Um, and, uh, you know, I think almost anyone they get in the first round at defensive line is going to be a, a really nice get.
Yeah, I think uh, Robert Kandichi actually is probably a player they have their eye on. I know the Hawks are picking at 26, which is fairly late in the draft for a player like Kandichi from from Old Miss. But because of the issues that, of course, with his with the character issues as they call them from his experiences in December that we talked about on my show yesterday and how that went in the interview process. Um, at the combine, there's a chance that he could probably drop, and that sort of feels like a, a very Pete Carroll type of pick, you know, because we're not talking about enormous character level issues here. We're talking about you know a little bit of marijuana in a hotel room, and and uh, you know that seems like Pete Carroll could get a, a player of, of that top ten quality at 26. Would love to bring him in and then do whatever the voodoo is that Pete Carroll seems to do to people when they get on his teams, where they turn into you know just uh, great character citizens. <laughs> Yeah, well, yeah, I, I don't know if I'd quite go that far, but he definitely manages to, to get people operating the right way. And, and you know, Bruce Jivern's a great example of that. And so far, Frank Clark's been an example of that. Um, and, and there's some others as well that I, I know you're, you're, you're referring to. But, yeah, there's, gosh, there are so many defensive line options in this draft. Um, you know, I would just love to see the Seahawks, you know, double dip, you know, um, spend the first couple picks and, um, a guy I really like that I think may slip down as far as, as where Seattle picks is someone like Shaq Lawson out of Clemson. I think um, some people had him even a top 10 pick, but I have a feeling you know, some people have him a second-round pick. Um, I think he could be a really interesting addition. I think uh, Emmanuel Ogba could be an interesting addition. Um, Kevin Dodd, depending on where he goes, I think definitely Kimdechi. Uh, uh, I totally butchered that. My, my apologies. But uh, – uh, absolutely is a, is a possibility. He's he's a really interesting one. I also like Sheldon Day, not as a first-round pick, but um, you know, this is a guy that could be second, maybe even a third-round pick, who who I think could be a, a really nice fit for Seattle as, a, as an interior rusher. So um, all I hope for is that they do go defensive line early. Um, when the Seahawks pick offensive line early, um, I just don't trust their uh, – I don't trust the way they evaluate offensive linemen um, and the way they value offensive linemen um, to use such a, a, a valuable pick on them. Um, that's why you see guys like James Carpenter and John Moffat get picked early by the Seahawks and be like guys that aren't that valued overall. So, um, you know, going up and, and there's some rumors of the Seahawks going after a, a tackle from, from Texas A&M, uh, an offensive tackle. Uh, I would be, I would be, very concerned if they did that. Um, I just don't, unless, unless they're a top 10 team and they get a top 10 pick, um, uh, I just don't know that the Seahawks are going to get the type of, of offensive line talent in the first round that, that's worth that investment and definitely probably not someone that would make an impact in the first year. Shaq Lawson would be incredible if he fell that far. Uh, I know there's been speculation of how, how far up or down he'll go, but at the end of the day, his, his talent is just uh, absolutely uh, undoubtable, and I, I have a hard time seeing him drop even into the 20s, but again, on draft day, many things can happen. You mentioned that they might be looking for uh, help in the secondary. Someone like William Jackson, the cornerback out of Houston, I think would be a really um, nice addition to a team like the Seahawks. And, you know, the Seahawks, I think, are one of the few teams that, that can use undersized players really well in the defense. So a player like Darren Lee, who's the linebacker um, from Ohio State, I think would be like an, excellent, uh, an excellent choice for a middle linebacker if you needed to replace for, uh, for example, uh, Bruce, Bruce, Bruce Irvin does actually end up going. Darren Lee seems like a player you could pick up maybe in the draft as a replacement there. Yeah, I think linebackers can be an interesting one. I think there's there's a couple ways they could handle Bruce Irvin's departure, and and Bruce kind of played two roles. So he 
he was their starting Sam linebacker, and he also was a nickel pass rusher. And um, that could end up being the same role or it could be different. And one option that I think is interesting is actually, um, if you look at free agency, Courtney Upshaw, who's still young um, from the Ravens, and the Ravens don't look like they're going to re-sign him, I think will be low cost because he's not a pass rusher. He really is just a classic kind of um, setting the edge physical um, linebacker. He's 26 years old. I think that's a guy that the Seahawks could potentially target for a reasonable deal. Um, and he would be a very strong um, you know, outside linebacker for them. Uh, that would leave them with some, some space to fill in, in terms of pass rush. And they could either do that via the draft, um, you know, uh, also hoping that Frank Clark steps forward, Cassius Marsh, um, some of their other players. Um, you know, could step, Ryan Robinson is another guy who most people do not know, but was uh, really standing out for the Seahawks last year um, in, in minicamp before he tore his Achilles, um, and he's expected back. So um, that, that's one possibility. I definitely like, you know, Lee would be fantastic. I don't know if he'll last for the Seahawks, but, you know, if they get someone like him, I think he's more of a weak side linebacker, and so that would shift KJ right over to Strong. And that's possible as well. So, yeah, it's pretty fun this time of year because there really are just – this is a great free agent class for what the Seahawks need. It's a great draft class for what the Seahawks need. All right, so Pete Carroll's uh, getting an extension. Uh, you know, we're going to get a couple more years of Pete Carroll. And going into next season, uh, the Hawks play in one of the toughest divisions in all of football. You know the Cardinals are going to be strong. You know that uh, we're going to see a resurgence now in, in, in the Rams and in, in, in the Niners. What's the expectation for Seattle for next season? Oh, the expectation is to win the Super Bowl. Um, you know, I think this is – I still believe this is the best team um, in the NFL um, in terms of talent, in terms of um, age, in terms of uh, coaching. Um, you know, the, the whole piece, I think uh, there were things that, that kept them from that last year, and I think that there's every reason to believe they're going to get back to it. I think um, this offense uh, is in the middle of emerging the way you know, the Patriots offense did as Tom Brady um, developed um, from a kind of a game manager in his early seasons to someone who was an MVP candidate in his, you know, seventh or eighth year. Um, so, you know, this is a incredibly powerful team um, that has a chance if they make the right choices in free agency and in the draft to really keep their championship window open for a number of years. Um, I think one of the key decisions that's going to have to be made is what do they do with Cam Chancellor? And um, I have reason to believe that he's going to be traded. And I think that's going to be something that a lot of people are going to uh, have problems with and concerns about and for good reason. Um, but what he brings back in a trade will also be a huge part of how this offseason um, develops. And uh, it could be a player. Um, it could be a draft pick. It could be both. Um, and uh, that, that's going to be a, a really interesting thing to watch. Okay, last question, then we'll get you out of here. Here's a, the real last one. Next year in my fantasy football draft, all right, as I get ready to go and pick, where do I pick Russell Wilson? Do I pick him in the category with the Aaron Rodgers and the Tom Brady's at the sort of uh, elite level of quarterback, uh, or do I or the Cam Newtons, or do I pick him one step sort of step down with the Carson Palmers uh, of the NFL? What Russell Wilson am I going to get next year from the Seahawks? Yeah, that's a good one. I, I um, you know, if you look at the second half of last season, Russell Wilson threw 25 touchdowns in the final eight games. 
Um, so it doesn't take a math genius to double that for a full season. And, you know, only two players have ever thrown for 50 touchdowns in, in a, a single season. And, you know, these are Hall of Fame players. So um, I don't know that I'd predict him to throw 50 touchdowns next year. But um, I think it's very reasonable to expect next year to be Russell Wilson's best year. I think it's a very good chance that Russell Wilson becomes an MVP candidate next year and potentially wins it. So I think it's a great year to, you know, if you're in fantasy football, to to bet big on Russell Wilson. Um, I think this offense is going to be uh, set to have their, you know, to potentially lead the NFL in scoring. I think they can be that good. So, um yeah, I would I would definitely be uh, bullish on on where you'd pick him. Awesome. Thanks so much, Brian, for taking some time to chat with us today on All in Sports Talk. Again, he's Brian Nemhauser, the at Hawk Blogger on Hawk Blogger, no S, Hawk Blogger on Twitter, hawkblogger.com. Go check out the blog again. Around since 2007, great coverage of Seattle Seahawks and uh, you know, great NFL knowledge all around. Really enjoy talking to you today and really appreciate you taking the time. Thanks so much. Yeah, thanks for having me. So there you have it. There's another show in the books. That's our Thursday show for All in Sports Talk. Big thanks to Brian Nemhauser for jumping in on last-minute notice to talk about the Hawks and the NFL with us. Greatly appreciate that. Tomorrow's Friday. I'm back with Arslan Siddiqui from Last Word on Sports. He covers the Leafs and the Marlies. We'll talk NHL. And, of course, tomorrow we debut our partnership with At The Hockey Press, where we'll give you some fantasy hockey tips for the weekend as well. Looking forward to more information about that partnership and to the show tomorrow with Arslan. Don't forget get Monday's NBA, Tuesday's EPL MLS, Wednesday NCAA football and basketball, Thursday the big show, Friday NHL, five days a week, all in sports talk, all sports, all topics, all the time. Until tomorrow, I'm Steve Gennaro. Thanks for listening. Go give us a follow on Twitter at all in sports talk and tell your friends, share and let everybody know and have a great day. Cheers.